Hello, listeners. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I'm hoping that you're asking. So, recently, you know, I did... uh, I know a lot of the listeners may have a hard time finding a show, but I've transferred a show from my podcast host was Spreaker to Anchor to see, you know, maybe I can reduce some of the outlays. I'm still using Spreaker because I like the editing software that it gives you to produce this show. But Anchor is, you know, it doesn't provide as much and you don't really have the option for what I would pay for. But it is associated with Spotify and I figured that one might be the way to go with putting the show on there. And I'm still still trying to figure the ins and outs of how to record, then edit, and put them together. And right now I'm just recording the whole thing as a whole entity. And you go, what is that? A whole entity. Meaning, I start with the music, I go right, I pull the music down, and then I go into me talking. Now, when I use the another app that doesn't have a console like this, what I normally do is I have to have introduced the music later, meaning I have to merge the files together. And that's eventually going to be what I'm going to do. And it should be seamless. It actually should be better than before. Better than my early shows. You know, which were you know, a work in progress. I was learning at the time. And speaking of learning, I had a discussion again with the wife. Uh, my our, our daughter is in high school, public high school, but all throughout her pre-high school years, she's been going to charter schools. Now, if you're not familiar with charter schools, charter schools have been around for a long time, but I guess in the 90s, it really came about was people were dissatisfied with the one-size-fits-all public school system. And they, you know, they, they, they wanted more neighborhood control of their schools, of their curriculum, of their activities. And some people said, hey, listen, we're paying this money in taxes and we'd like to get is there a way we could get money per student and set up our own schools now parochial schools religious schools thought hey we've been doing this for a long time maybe we can get the money too but the state has problems with the vision of having you know separation of church and state the state giving money to religious institutions or institutions that are religious based but with the Supreme Court the way it is right now, there's a possibility that's probably going to change. So religious schools, I think they still get, I still can get it. So, um, you know, whether they contribute what amount, depending on the funding per school, they'll say, you know, public schools may get like 7000 per student and a charter school will get 6000 and because they don't have to adhere to all the civil service rules and all this stuff. And then the help that charter schools get from the parents, because charter schools figure heavily 
to have uh, participation of parents in the school that reduce financial outlays. And there's fundraising systems and all that that goes about with charter schools. So ideally, if you think about it, it says, oh, they're more charter schools are more efficient in delivering education. And some of them are very good, especially when you consider that the parents are getting more closely involved with the schools, you know, volunteering in the parking lot, in the lunchrooms, going on trips, moderating trips and things like that. And all the other things they do more so in charter schools. And you have to sign an agreement for a lot of these schools that you have to give um, 10 to 20 hours or whatever a year in sweat equity, meaning you have to do something for the school. And that's your responsibility. So with all the system is great. But down here in the Keys, we're already under it a little more pressure because of the price of things and how hard it is to get teachers and things like that down here and how hard property is because charter schools either have to own their property or lease their property and property prices are super high. So there's extra barriers to having a charter school in areas where it's pricier. But we also have a resource, which is we have a lot of wealthy people. The median income is really high. That doesn't mean we don't have people that are working class or lower working class. And they want to be able to participate in the charter school system too. Now, the problem with charter schools for working class parents is for people that have to work a little longer to able to afford living a standard living down here in the Keys, It makes it harder for them to participate in charter schools, right? They don't get off in the middle of the day where they can go uh, be a moderator on a field trip or, you know, not, you know, some, a lot of the families are two income families. So you don't have people, you know, if you have a wealthy person, they could just sometimes certain jobs, they, they own the companies or they're wealthy enough that they don't have to go into work every day. They may own the company. So they can participate as much, and that extends itself to the parent-teachers organizations. They have more free time. And they actually, a lot of them, and I know it sounds a little one-sided stuff, a lot of them have uh, so much free time that they, they spend their free time participating in these organizations, which are great. But the downside is that charter schools down here in some aspects of charter schools, try to behave like private schools, well-to-do private schools, when the demographic of the school is maybe the same as in public school, maybe the same, maybe wealthy people send their kids to charter school because they have a free time. Or if you have only one child, it's easier for you to divvy up the time to contribute your time and contribute your resources. But one aspect of charter schools, and I've noticed them in the two my daughter attended, was the class trips. At the school she attended prior to the last one before she went to high school, they had a class trip scheduled for Puerto Rico for fifth graders. Yes, fifth graders going to Puerto Rico. And it was a couple thousand dollars. Now, we're... 
able to swing those things, but not every kid could swing that thing and try to do fundraisers to alleviate the financial burden. But it only does it from you know maybe four or five hundred dollars. There's still a couple thousand dollars, and usually you know coming up with something during the year and saying, oh, here's an extra two thousand dollars. For some families, no problem. It could be just a secondary thought going, oh, yeah, of course, $2,000. For other people, $2,000 is a huge hit. In the last school she attended, they were going to Costa Rica, and it was three to $4,000, the commitment. And they did the same thing with the fundraising. And when I talked to people about this, and especially people that were a little more financially, let's say, independent, and, and wealthy, they said, well, why would you deny your child the ability to expand their horizons? It's really good for them to go overseas. It's really good to do this. It's really good. Yeah, it is really good. It is. Re- I think it's really good. Matter of fact, because we only have one child, we go over almost every year, the daughter goes over to Poland with her mom, gets experience in another country. Now, that isn't an easy decision for us. But since she has property over there and she has family over there, it's a necessity to visit the family and manage your property. And it's not a big property. It's not like we're independently wealthy and stuff like that, but it's a property over there. It has to be watched over. And so, but we're able to make the commitment. We're able to do this. We're able to send our daughter. We were able to send our daughter to Costa Rica. It wasn't a secondary thought. We had to think about it, but we did it. We had to think about it. I mean, we didn't have to think about it. We decided. We just think about how we're going to do it. But there are other people that they have multiple kids. And when you make a decision of two to $3,000 for them, it's like, well, they're going to go to Costa Rica. We were going to send all our kids to camp this summer. But because of that commitment, we can't do that. Or we can't go to Disney World. Or we can't do that. Or we just can't afford to send them to Costa Rica at all. Because of inflation, because rent went up, because fuel went up. And people don't find that $3,000 to $4,000 commitment as a secondary uh, nothing decision. As a child, when I was a child, uh, you knew how someone was, you know, some people were well off, some people were less well off by the clothes they wore, by the lunches they ate. And when I got to be like 16 years or 17 years old, by the cars they drove into school, and if they drove a car at all. And then you also say other things you'd hear about what they did in the summer. Some people went and worked all summer. Other people spent it down the shore. Uh, we, we always did pretty well. We always did pretty well. But I'm acutely aware, especially being a parent now, that I see people that are single-income parents. Single parents. And do they have the time and the resources to do that? No. And it becomes apparent to the kid, and it becomes almost like a pariah in the school and saying that kid doesn't have the... They, they don't think that kid doesn't have the resources and stuff like that. Oh, they think their parents don't care about them and things like that. So when you make a decision for the whole school, you're actually making 
some of the children and some of the families very stressed, burdened, and creating a social uh, creating a social pariah sometimes. So you got to really be thinking about these things. It's it's interesting because the daughter there's just as many wealthy people are sending their kids to school, high school, but the high school they don't have that those big trips going to different places. The whole class does not go to Puerto Rico and all that stuff. They may go, when they graduate, they may go on a cruise to Bahamas, right? But, you know, Bahamas is like 100 miles away from here. You know? And it's, you know, it's not 4,000 bucks. It's just, but there's just as many wealthy kids and you can tell by this, when you go into the parking lot, there's so many Mercedes BMWs, Teslas in the parking lot. That's the decision of the parents if they want to raise their kids like that. And I understand you love your kids, you want to give them the best, right? But, you you know, you can't tell another parent, say, listen, I wish you'd, you know, peg the expectations a little lower so you don't make my kid feel bad. They're not going to do that. My kid's driving a convertible Mercedes. I don't give a fuck about your kid. That's not what they said, but they don't think, they don't, maybe they don't think that way. They may just think, I want my kid to have the best. You know, and I, there's all sorts of other downsides of giving your kids whatever they want, but that's up to them. But you don't see it in the way the kids go on the trips, and that's the nice thing. So I'm moving on. That was a commentary about charter schools and how people behave as if a charter school is a private school. And I wish they went more back to the tradition why they had charter schools, not to make them into pseudo-private schools. And I'm sure there's private schools that say, hey, listen, we used to have people used to make a big commitment to send their kids to school here now, and now they're saying they're going to a charter school. And, you know, it's just... You know, it's probably hurting them too, and it's hurting public schools. Just, you know, because public education was a way to bring society up together. Like in the a rising tide raises all ships. So a good education gets you started in life, moves you on to, you know, you can go to secondary education, your, your high school, and then you got your colleges for more special specialization. So right now we're making it all kind of a mishmash of things. On to lighter things, though. Let's talk about lighter things. Last night, the wife and I are perusing the channels, looking for a TV show. And I see one that's called Now and Then, I think. Now and Then. And it takes place in Miami. And it's mainly in Spanish. Let's say 60% Spanish, 40% English. Pretty much like Miami. (laughs) No, but 60... Yeah, it works. The people that are in it are Miami residents, college graduates, and then, uh, you know, 20 years later, they're the people that are ensconced in Miami culture, but they're still speaking Spanish and going back between Spanish and English, which... I can tell you that happens a lot. 
you know, second, third generation. Miami such a concentration of Spanish speakers that, yeah, you can go to a whole day speaking Spanish without speaking English some places. I'm not in those places. They're going to have to speak a little English to me. Though I am more, uh, I, I guess like I'm more adapted understanding Spanish now. I, I don't find it repellent. I think it's an asset to be able to have two no two languages. So we're watching the show, but it has nothing to do with the language of the show. And then their transition, I came up. These are how I come up with the show. Uh, the show. So I'm thinking, oh, they're doing a good job. The show's interesting. It's kind of like a high-end Spanish soap opera. Because something happens at a graduation party at the beach. So they're hanging at the beach. Something like something happens, nothing like that. But someone, a couple of people end up dying and they're asking people where they were. And they're talking to one guy and they said, what beach were you at? And he goes, Key Largo. And the first thing that comes out of my head is there is no fucking beach in Key Largo. There's beach-like places in Key Largo, but there's really no beaches. You have John Pennycamp, they kind of have a beach there, sand, but sand and shells and stuff. But it's not a, it's not a beach. And I think it's kind of blocked by mangrove islands and things like that. Um, so I'm, I was almost certain when they said it, there's no fucking beach in Key Largo. And then I made me even doubt what I said. I said, well, I've been here 15 years. Maybe there is a fucking beach in Key Largo. There isn't. And then I thought, well, maybe there's a beach in Miami called Key Largo Beach and there's no Key Largo Beach there so I'm going how fucking lazy is that the producers of the show it's just like saying you know you're going like the writers of the show is saying instead of looking for a beach and saying South Beach we were in South Beach we were in that you know we were at a certain near the causeway or whatever something like that South Beach at the causeway no, they just threw out Key Largo. It's like saying, it's saying I live in Paris. Where, oh yeah, you li- I live and work in Paris. In Paris, France, yeah. yeah. Uh, wh- where's your office? The Eiffel Tower. You know, just picking some big name and saying, oh, that's where my office was in the Eiffel Tower. Now, it very well could be, but it's unlikely that there's offices. It's mainly sightseeing thing. They've got restaurants and gift shops and stuff like that. I'm sure they have security offices there or something like that. But that's pretty much it. There's not like a lot of extra space at the Eiffel Tower. You know, oh, I live in the Eiffel Tower. No, no, you don't live in the Eiffel Tower. Or, you know, where, uh, what, what else can you say? You could say something like, I'm going to London. Oh, no, wait, I'm in China. And so like this, and where's your apartment? Great Wall of China. Now, Chinese real estate being what it is, you'd be maybe I. There are some condos there, but I'm thinking, how fucking lazy are you? Again, you just go and look up. Well, just get a beach. You can go. Well, we'll just say Key Largo because most of the people here aren't watching it. Well, that was the one thing I show up, and then we're watching another TV show after that, and. 
it's um, what's it called after party. Oh, it's, it's so weird because they're two different shows. There's a graduation, and oh wait, now and now, yeah, after party uh, about a celebrity who has that after a reunion. A celebrity is murdered after a high school reunion. He had a party at his enclave, his celebrity enclave. And they're doing it. And I said, oh, this is a different show. Kind of like similar to that. And it's a murder mystery. It's kind of it's kind of interesting and funny. And I'm thinking, how much fucking content is there out there? What kind of content it was? When I was a child, and I'll say it again, there were three major networks. There was a smattering. I lived in Philadelphia for some time. And as a kid, there was uh, the local affiliates, which is the same network, but there was like shit TV in the daytime. It was soap operas and news. For kids, it was shit TV. And then you had the local channels that were... um, the VHF, I think it's a VHF or UHF, whatever. There was a UHF. There was the one with the networks on it. That was channels um, two through thirteen, and then every channel above thirteen was, I think, UHF or VHF, and that was local channels. You didn't have any networks on there until later on. There was a, maybe Warner Brothers Network, and they had these rinky-dink local. Uh, they had all reruns. It's all reruns of old TV shows, old movies, shitty local things, infomercials later on in my life. And they used to have a million-dollar movie. They called it a million-dollar movie. And they'd show a movie that was like, so it's in the 70s. They show a movie from the 50s or the 60s. And then halfway through, they'll have a question, and there was a guy, and they'd give out a big prize. And the prize went up $10 at a time, and finally, our prize now is $60. This is in Philadelphia on one of the television stations. People are calling up for $60, because $60 was almost half a weekly income back then. So it was a you know pretty big deal. But... So there was very little original content on those local stations and all this stuff was on the network and maybe there was a total of, if there was from 8 o'clock to 11, prime time, Monday through Friday, they had that, there were three main channels and PBS, obviously there's PBS, but PBS was really like a collection of local public stations that congregated together and they had some programming on that but all told there was about 45 hours to considering weekends to maybe 60 70 hours of programming a week for half the year so seasons only television seasons last 26 weeks 24 weeks whatever so it was maybe 75 hours a week and then you had sports and all that stuff, which is not necessarily... It is content, but it's generated through the, through the game itself. So, you don't, you, know, you have the commenta- commentators and stuff like that, but that's it. So, that's it. Now, each week, it seems as if there's... Let me put it out there. 20 times the amount of content. 20 times. And if 1,500 hours a week, 
of content. And they have it all through the day. They do reruns, obviously, like, but all these different channels, all these cable channels, satellite channels, streaming channels, Apple, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, whatever station, and now these other networks that come around, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, they probably have movies, but they may come up with their own programming too. So there's so much content out there. When originally, 50 years ago, let's say, the population in the United States was 180, 200 million people. Now it's 330 million people. You know, less than half, uh, more than half the amount of people that are around today. And you think there's 20 times the content. And forget about just television. How about radio? How about YouTube? How about social media? There is a shitload of content. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours each week. My podcast is content. Is it good content? No, but shit, there used to be Fantasy Island and a love boat. Just because people are making money doesn't mean it was good. There were some shitty TV shows out there. You know, in the 70s, and in, in the early 70s, Happy Days came out. Or maybe late, you know, like 74, maybe 75. And they, But the spinoff from that, they had, okay, you had Laverne and Shirley. Decent show. But they also had Joni Loves Chachi. Joni Loves Chachi. Shitty, uh, you know, shitty TV show. There were so many shitty TV shows because there was only three networks to watch. And you have to choose which shitty show you're going to watch. I used to watch The Million Dollar Man. The $6 million man. It was actually with inflation. It's probably now like the $100 million man. Or maybe the half a billion dollar man. Where it's Steve Austin, Colonel Major Steve Austin gets in an accident in experimental aircraft and he rebuilt them using different parts. Which I really didn't understand. Because he made his legs. His, his He lost his legs. But they they put the legs below his glute muscles, his new bionic legs, gave him one bionic arm, one bionic eye, right? Now, they didn't show you the rest of it, but how could Steve Austin run 60 miles an hour when his glute muscles weren't modified? He'd be tearing at his, tearing up his glute, uh, glute muscles and his front of his thighs and all that stuff. The legs don't, the legs don't operate like that. You, you, you have your hip muscles would have to accommodate the speed of moving 60 miles an hour. And they just they'd have to replace everything below the belly button for him to get up to that speed. And then when he lifts 500 pounds with one arm, what's happening to his spine? Because his, his spine wasn't steel reinforced or anything like that. He just had one. He'd be able to curl an isolated curl. He'd face that and be able to do that but be able to pick up his arm would rip out of his body or he'd break in half 
Now, the eye thing, I kind of understand and stuff like but I they didn't have it yet. They didn't have the technology. They had the technology maybe to build those things, but they had the technology to figure out, well, this wouldn't really work, would it? Why didn't they just take his brain and put it into a, a robot? Just build it. Oh, the whole robot is Steve Austin. We just build his body to look like him again. And then, just, oh, okay, well, then it can handle all that stuff. But one arm, two legs, and one eye. And people said, that's a great show. And then eventually they said, well, wait, women's lib. How about Lindsay Wagner? I forget her name on the thing, but she was the bionic woman. And she had two legs. Her ear was bionic, which why you need a bionic ear that's super enhanced. She could hear things and stuff like that. And I think still one of her arms. Yeah. So, content. It's just amazing how much we do, how much we put on seeing more content. They are competing for more attention from fewer people. Meaning, if you have so much content, there's going to be a certain amount of people that are going to watch uh, gold diggers or whatever stuff like where people go and try to dig for gold or pawn, pawn stars, the pawn thing, or the Kardashian. There's a lot of shit TV now, but there's also a lot of good shit, good stuff comparatively what, where there was years ago. And I'm thinking, where the hell did all the screenwriters come? Uh, where did all the actors come from? It's like there's so much work for people to have. We probably, if you live in a big city or one of the big ones like New York, Chicago, L.A., Philadelphia, Boston, Miami, Dallas, and if you move around and kind of like an upper middle class group, go to nice restaurants, stuff, you probably are going near people that are on TV all the time. Matter of fact, there's people with YouTube channels, there's People I know that had their own TV shows, they showed up in movies and stuff like that. The movies is the one thing that there weren't, that them really didn't expand. Theatrical release movies. They're about the same, even less. Because they used to be, before TV, it was all theatrical release movies. Even the serial things before television, they had serial movies that were like hour long or something like that, were, were episodic. And it was more than like 10, like Rambo or anything like that. They'd have like seasons of it, but they were released at the movies until TV came out. And then they said, oh, this is where episodes will go. But when I realized and I said, oh my God, how much content? I'm in a ocean of it. Every year, 1 million podcasts are started. Maybe more, maybe 2 million. There's a podcast for everything. A friend of mine in uh, someone I went to high school with. There's people I know, at least I know at least 10 people that have started their own podcast. I don't know anybody's continuing as long as I am. I'm one to beat a dead horse, maybe. But my buddy in Philly did it, and his, his specialty is about air vents. The podcast is about air vents. For homes, 
And it's about, I guess, insulation. And you sub and he sent it to me. And I thought it was really interesting. I thought, why not? I thought, why not shouldn't there be one like that, especially one? There's for everyone. There should be one for nail technicians. Hence the keys bartender. I mean, people say, why is a bartender have a podcast? Well, I mean, there's one for there's real estate, a lot of real estate podcasts. Yep. There was a friend of mine that was on the radio here. They were in a property. Uh, they had a property, something podcast or TV show. Oh, not TV show, radio show. So hence, I'm going to start this week. I, I, I did come up with more structure for that new show I'm talking about, Conk Chatter. I keep on calling it Conk Chatter. I'm thinking it's calling it Keys Chatter, but it's Conk Chatter. The Conk Chatter podcast. And the way I'm thinking about doing it, I'll either do live shows with multiple participants, which is difficult to do until I get uh, the right amount of listenership. And people say, well, this is worthwhile going on. I'll have to probably record the the interviews using my cell phone and attach them together to get my stories and news items. And put them together and I'll do the news and chat, you know, and topics and things like that and ask people about it. And then I'll see how that works out. And there's probably, there's always a market for something. There's one for, I'm sure there's one for brewers, people that brew beer. I did, I do know there is. For chocolatiers, probably chocolatiers, people that make ice cream, maple syrup purveyors, probably I mean, it's got to be a podcast. There's always one. There's always one. People say, well, there's probably like egg farmers. People say, well, this is how we get a good egg. This is how we take care of the chickens. This is how we feed them and stuff like that. And this is how we house them. You think, well, that probably only takes a half hour. You'd be surprised at the depth someone could go into a certain subject. So there is content out there, and there's a lot of it. And if you do expect to get into the pool, and the pool is the you know podcasting pool, uh, don't be worried about the numbers as much because you're just doing it. You're just doing it. Just go ahead and do it. And I was frightened at a, in my head. I think, well, what am I doing? I'm doing exactly what I'm doing. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you take care of yourself. I will be back tomorrow's Wednesday, so I won't release the show Wednesday, but I will be back probably Thursday and Friday. I thank you very much, and I should have I should have content for the con- chatter podcast coming up in the beginning of July. We'll see what happens. Thank you very much and have a great day. Let me start that music. Oh, the music didn't start. There we go.